this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Today we're going to look at what happens when you pray. And one of the epiphanies I've received over the years is what happens when I don't pray? And and when you start considering that and you see what happens when you don't pray, you leave things up to chance and worse still, you leave things up to the enemy to have free reign in, in your life and in the events and circumstances that you face. So what happens when you pray? Well, what happens when you pray is God gets involved and he starts moving and shaking and, and interfering with the uh, the bad things that might happen in your life. And a couple of other thoughts that we're going to talk about today is, you know, when we pray, let's stop telling God what to do. That's not prayer. Um, God is not our uh, magical genie that we uh, wish upon a star and get what we want. We need to stop telling God what to do and start praying for his good will to happen. So I really think you're going to be encouraged by listening to this podcast. So listen in and be blessed. jump right into what we're going to be talking about today in Acts 12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. We'll be throwing up uh, the scriptures on the screen as we always do. But in Acts 12, um, we're going to be talking about what happens when you pray. What happens when you pray? And I'll tell you, my good friend Brianna back there, we love Irvin, man. We love going to Irvin. And when we see these high schoolers do some of the things that they do in a public school, it just blows my mind, man. Be high schoolers. In fact, Brown is one of the ones that will pray out loud in front of their their students, their fellow students there. And and so I want to talk about today. We want to talk about today what happens when you pray, when each of every one of you guys prays. Stuff happens, and I I think we can't lose track of that. We can't lose sight of that. We're going to jump right into the story and pull extract some really cool truths that I think can stick with us, not only this week, the rest of the year, possibly the rest of our lives. And here it goes. It says, it was about this time that King Herod, the king of that part of Israel, arrested some of those belonging to the church, intending to persecute them. And now, let me tell you what, whenever the Bible says in those times there was an intention to persecute, there was an intention to persecute. I'm talking possible torture, certainly death, In fact, here in the next verse, we'll see that's exactly what had already happened. This king had already uh, arrested James, one of the the 12 disciples, the brother of John, and had already put him to death by the sword. There had already been a martyr just in days past at this time. And I'll tell you, you got to stop. When you read the Bible, you got to stop and put it into perspective in your life. What if in our church, one of you had already been arrested, and it had, had experienced capital punishment. How would our church be right now? We would be pretty shaken up. We'd be wondering, should we be coming to church and gathering? Because that sounds pretty risky to me. See, we don't do that with the Bible. We don't read it that way. We don't apply it oftentimes to like, what would it be like if we were in their shoes? And so they'd already experienced the loss of one of their key leaders in the church, And so when King Herod saw that this had met with approval amongst the Jews, he proceeded to go ahead and seize Peter as well, kind of the kingpin, if you will, of the church at that time. He went ahead and seized him, 
And this just so happened to be during the Passover, during the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And and we're going to think about that here in just a second. So after he arrested Peter, he put him in prison and handed him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. All right, that's quite a few soldiers, 16 in fact. And Herod intended to bring him out to, to public trial after the Passover. And so I want to tell you, there was a big problem at that time. This was a big problem that, this, that the church faced. And I want you to stop and think just for a minute. Do you have any big problems in your life right now? We asked this in, in, the, in the prison yesterday. Do you have any problems? And you can imagine almost everybody raised their hand. Yeah, I've got big problems. Let me tell you what. I've got problems. you got problems. And we got to learn how to deal with the crises in our lives. All right. So there was a big problem here. But let's go back to Peter just for a second. Can you imagine just and I, I haven't gone through and, and looked at the timing of this, but just a year or two previous to this, Jesus had been arrested at the same time. At, at or around the Passover, Jesus was arrested. And guess what? During the Passover, Jesus had been crucified. And I can only imagine what Peter was thinking. He was thinking, oh my goodness, am I about to be the next one to go? My friend, my best friend, James, has just been put to death. Jesus, my Savior, was put to death at this time. It looks to me like the stars are aligning and it's my time to go. And I tell you what, whenever you start thinking those thoughts, it's very sobering because you start thinking of all the things I wanted to accomplish this. I wanted to do that. I wanted to get this thing done. I wanted to leave a legacy and here my time might be up. I'm sure that was a thought that was crossing Peter's mind. But look at this in verse eight. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I want to ask you a question. Have you earnestly, ever earnestly prayed to God? Have you ever gotten super serious and said, you know what? This is it. If I don't pray, something bad is going to happen. And you start getting earnest. In fact, if you start looking at the different various versions of the Bible of this verse, look at some of these synonyms or uh, different words that, that kind of, Equal to, you know, or equate to earnestly praying. Look, constantly prayed. One version says they constantly prayed. Let me tell you what, when you get serious with God, you're going to get into a lifestyle of prayer. You're going to say, it's, it's either me or this situation, and it's not going to me. I, it's not going to be me. I'm getting through this tough situation, and I'm going to constantly pray. You get serious. You say, enough's enough. I'm tired of just waiting for life to happen to me. I'm going to start happening to life. Are you living to win or are you living to not lose? <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's time for us to start living to win and saying, I have nothing to lose here. I'm going forward. I'm going to get to where I'm going to go with God's help. All right, but look at some of these other words. They prayed fervently and persistently. Have you ever prayed fervently and persistently? By the way, my goal today is for you to enter into a new level of praying, a new level of prayer where you say, you know what? I'm going to be start being a 
a praying man of God, a praying woman of God. I'm going to do what it takes. They prayed intensely, another version said. I like this one. They prayed very hard. Have you ever prayed very hard? Have you ever prayed without ceasing? (laughs) All right. In fact, in James, look at this. I love this one. Uh, Many of us have read this. Uh, James 5.16, I'm going to show it to you in a couple of different versions as well, but in the common English Bible, some people are bothered by different versions of the Bible. Different versions of the Bible do not bother me, because you know what it does? It takes, it takes a scripture, it gives it a little bit different word in the English language, and it, it engages your mind. You start thinking about what you're reading. If you sit there and read the same version year after year, it's not going to hurt you, but you switch up the version, it's going to light you up. You're going to say, oh my goodness, I never thought of it that way. But look at this. In the common English Bible, it says, the prayer of a righteous person is what it's powerful in what it can achieve. If you pray, things are going to happen. (laughs) Did you hear that? If you pray, things are going to start happening in your life that have never happened before. Look at this in the Amplified Version, one of my favorites, because it's so expanded and it has so many words that helps you think about it. But it says, the heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man or a righteous woman, all right? A righteous person, a believer, can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It is what it, the prayer is dynamic. It's dynamic and it can have tremendous power. Don't you want to have more power in your life? Do you want to be a victim the rest of your life or do you want to be an overcomer? Do you want to be a winner? I'll tell you what, God never wants you to be a failure in life. He doesn't want you to be a failure. Are you going to fail? Yes, but that doesn't make you a failure. You fail forward, you fall forward, and you learn from your mistakes. But look at this last version of the Evangelical Heritage Version. It says, the prayer of a righteous person is able to do much because it is effective. And I want to tell you this morning, your prayers are effective. And the little nagging lies and thoughts that come through your mind says, oh, your prayers aren't amounting to hill of beans. That's a bunch of baloney. (laughs) Your prayers are powerful. Your prayers are powerful. I want to remind you, it says the prayer of a righteous person. You say, well, I'm not, I'm not that righteous. <laughs> you know, I thought the wrong thought. I said the wrong thing. I did the wrong thing. I have the bad, I've had bad habits, bad attitudes. But you know what? The righteousness of the Bible, as we learned last week, it's a gift of God. You, your good works don't make you a good person. God's righteousness is what makes you a good person. And you start living in that truth and you say, you know what? I'm righteous because God, by by Jesus, his son, he made me righteous. And you start living not as an unworthy person, but as a qualified man and woman of God. Your prayers are powerful and effective. They're going to accomplish a lot. So back to our story. Remember, we left off here in verse 5, and it said, But the church was earnestly praying to God. Look at this. (laughs) So this is what happened as a result of the church praying. The next verses that you see resulted from their prayers. If the church had not been praying, these things would not have happened. They would not have happened. Your prayers count, and your lack of prayers count too. 
unfortunately. It's kind of sobering. The level of responsibility that God has placed on our shoulders to pray, to get serious, all right? So let's read the rest of the story here. This is what happens as a result of these people praying. The night before Herod was going to bring Peter out to trial, Peter was, he was sleeping. Can you believe that? He was sleeping even though Jesus, his friend, his Savior's Lord, had died at the same time of, of year. He was sleeping even though his friend James had been martyred. He was sleeping. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know what that teaches us is when you can't control your situation, stop stressing out. Your stress, your worry, your anxiety is not going to fix a single solitary thing. So when are we going to learn to stop doing the things that don't work? What is it Einstein said? If you keep doing the same thing and expecting different results, that's the definition of insanity. And yet we as Christians keep worrying, keep stressing, keep trying to plan in our mind and control our situation. We can't do it. We need God to do these things for us, and prayer gets us there. So he was asleep. What a, what a cool guy, man, to be able to just relax. Got 16 soldiers around me. I might buy, die tomorrow, but you know what? I'm going to have a good night's rest tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, man. He's between two soldiers bound in two chains. A sentry stood guard there at the entrance suddenly. An angel of the Lord, as a result of these people's prayers, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. And you know what the the angel does? I love this. The angel struck Peter on the side. Sometimes God comes and slaps you upside your head. He says, wake up. Stop rolling around in your self-pity and worrying about your situation. He strikes you. You know what? Sometimes we need an encouraging slap. Boom. Come on, wake up. Get up. Stop, stop rolling around in your self-pity. He strikes, strikes Peter on the side. He woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off of Peter's wrists. Do you believe God still does miracles today? Yes. You better believe God still does. Why do we know that? Because we've experienced the miracles of God. Wow. So he says, quick, get up. Angel said to him, put on your clothes, your sandals. Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. Prison. Uh, he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision, and that's because we read last week. I mean, Peter was having dreams and visions. They passed through the first and the second guards, and I, I like to sit. You have to think about what this was like. You know, in some stories in the Bible, we find that the guards were put into a deep sleep. And that's why the prisoner was able to be set free in this case, I believe, because it doesn't say any other thing different. Those guards were standing there. And here comes Peter walking right by, blinded to his escape. They couldn't even see Peter walking by because God had apparently blinded those guards. At least that's my interpretation here. He came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened by itself, and they went through. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Peter came to himself. We talked about that in the jail just yesterday. 
uh, people need to come to themselves. <laughs> we need to wake up. But Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel and has rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. By the way, we believe this is the John Mark that wrote the book of Mark. All right. And there, there was many people in, in this house and they were gathered and they were praying for Peter's rescue. And they didn't even know God had already done it. And you don't either. Many times you're praying and God has already answered your prayer and you haven't seen it yet and you don't know it yet. And you're praying there and you're agonizing and wondering, God, when are you going to do it? And he's already done it. In fact, that's kind of what faith is, is saying, I receive what God is going to do even before I see it. I don't, we sang it this morning, I don't go by what I feel. I don't go by what I see. Man, I go by what God's word promises me, and I'm going to hold fast to the Bible, to the promises of God. But they were there praying, gathered together. Peter knocks on the outer entrance, the, the door there, and a little servant girl named Rhoda she goes out to answer the door. She recognizes Peter's voice. She's so overjoyed, this little dingbat, all right? She's so overjoyed, she runs back. She doesn't open the door for Peter. She leaves him out there in the street in the dark, and she tells everybody, Peter's at the door. They tell her, you're out of your mind. These praying saints, these faith-filled men and women of God, they don't even believe God has answered their prayers. And that's us a lot of times. We say, yeah, you're out of your, we tell God, you're out of your mind. You're not going to do that. That's too hard. But you know what? They say, you must see his angel. That's how much faith these people had. They thought he was already dead. <laughs> you're not seeing Peter. But Peter kept knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter, Peter motioned his hand for them to be quiet. And he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Praise God, man. Tell James and the other brothers, by the way, you might wonder, well, I thought you just said James was martyred. This was a different James. This was the leader of, in fact, the, considered the half-brother of Jesus, who was leading the church in Jerusalem. He said, tell James and the other brothers and the sisters about this. He said, and then he left for another place. And what I'd like to do this morning briefly is, is find four lessons about prayer in this wonderful power-packed story. And I pray that you take these four lessons this week and you start applying them. You start experimenting them. Man, it doesn't matter if you're Catholic. It doesn't matter if you're... It's so funny in this, this town. I never realized this. I used to live in other places. You never say, are you Catholic or you Christian? <laughs> What a, funny, what a funny question that is. Are you Catholic or Christian? You know what? If you believe the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, your Lord, your King, I'll tell you what, you're, you're on your way to heaven. All right? So let's set aside that difference and let's start talking about four lessons in prayer. That anybody, anybody who believes Jesus is Lord, they start praying. In fact, we did this in prison. I said, I want to clarify something. All right? Because there's... There's a Jehovah's Witness uh, kind of uh, gathering there at, at the Rogelio Sanchez prison. There's a, there's a Muslim group that meets, and there's a Catholic group that meets. There's a Christian group. And I, I stood in front of those, those uh, inmates and their families, and I said, I just want to make some, one thing clear. 
The God that we're talking about today is the God whose son is Jesus Christ. That's the God we're talking about. So when I tell you today to pray, I'm not telling you to make up a a God in your mind. Say, well, I think God is a God of love. And God would never send anybody to hell. And so that's that's my God. Well, you know what you've just done? You've just made up a God for yourself. (laughs) The God is who God says he is. He's the one, you know, if you were to say, you know, I'm going to never met me personally before and say, you know what? I'm, I think Steve has hair. And I think Steve is six foot two and he's a dark, handsome, good looking guy. Well, you just made up a Steve in your mind because that's not who I am. All right. You can't make up your mind who God is. You can't make up God in your mind. That's stupid. All right. God is who God is. And we've got to get to know God, all right, and get to know who he is and how he operates and follow him and offer our bodies and our lives and our minds and our thoughts to him and say, God, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to get to know you better because you are who you say you are. But four lessons from prayer, all right, here's the first one that we read from this story. <laughs> I like this one. This, and all of these are my own this is my personal stuff. This is what God is dealing with me about. And so it's going to be kind of funny to, to kind of be transparent this way. But look, the first one is stop telling God what to do. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is not about you telling God what to do. God, here's my prayer. Go do this for me. All right, God? That's not, that's not prayer. <laughs> that's not what God intends. You know, God is God. He's the one in charge. I'm not the one in charge. Stop telling God what to do and just pray for his good will to be done. And notice that I inserted this word good. Because if you're, if you're in church any length of time, you start hearing people say, it. pray for God's will. All right, pray for God's will. And then in our peevish little minds, our little minds that are so limited, we start thinking, well, that might mean that God wants something bad to happen. If I pray for his will, and then there's this little bit of skepticism and a little bit of doubt about God, and you start saying, well, I, I want his will. But in your, the back of your mind, you think it might be a really bad thing that God wants. That's why I want you to know this morning that when you pray for God's will, you're praying for something good to happen. You're praying for something good to happen. I want you to look at this in Romans 12 too. It says, uh, the Apostle Paul is Roman to the, writing to the Roman church. and He says, don't conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you, that's you and me, so that we might prove what the will of God is. God's will doesn't need to be this mysterious thing beyond understanding or comprehension. God wants you to prove what his will is. And then the the apostle Paul says, he expands on that. He says, what God's good will is, what his acceptable will is, and what his perfect will is. And if you look into what these words mean, it's saying good, i.e. not bad. (laughs) Let's stop thinking that God's will is bad. It's good. It says it right here. His acceptable, what does that mean? It means well-pleasing, his gratifying will. God wants you to succeed in life. Does that mean you're going to be problem-free? No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I mean, you're going to have mountains to climb. You're going to scuff your knees sometimes. You're going to bang your head other times. But God wants you to succeed in life. Do you think I, as a father, want my kids to fail? (laughs) No, 
I want my kids to succeed. I want them to reach new heights, higher heights than I could have ever reached myself. Your father in heaven wants you to succeed. He has a good will for you, a gratifying will for you, and a perfect, flawless will for you. We're the ones that mess up God's will sometimes. <laughs> All right? In fact, that's why in Matthew 6, 9, and 10, Jesus instructed his disciples to pray in this manner. He said, pray this way, your will be done. Here on earth, as it is in heaven. And that's good. Every time you pray that, that's praying for something really good to happen. Something that you will like. And so stop being skeptical of God and thinking that his will is going to be something bad. Let's look at Peter. They were praying for Peter. Was his escape from from prison good? Yeah, it was good. Was his escape from prison acceptable and gratifying and well-pleasing? Yeah, it worked out good for Peter. Was his escape from prison perfect? It looked pretty flawless to me, man. Chains fell off, doors opened up, he escaped, he told his friends he was okay. That was a good will of God. Oh, man. Do you think the church, by the way, was saying, God, I pray tonight, Lord, that as Peter's laying there, that the chains would fall off his hands. Lord, and then after that, I pray that he would be invisible to the guards and that the gate would open up and that he would walk a block and then the angel would just... The church was not praying that way. They, they couldn't have even conjured that whole scenario up. All they were doing was praying to God with faith that God would work out the details the way that God wanted to do it. We need to do that. Stop telling God what to do and start praying, God, your good will be done. And just shock me, God. Surprise me. And God wants to do exactly that because that shows that he is God. Let's go on to the next one here. Next lesson is if you don't pray, all right, if you decide I'm too busy to pray, I don't believe in prayer, prayer doesn't work out for me. If you don't pray, you leave things up to chance or worse still, you leave things up to the, the God of this world as the Bible calls the devil. You, if you don't pray, you're going to leave things up to, to bad things happening, all right? But if you will pray, God will get involved in your problem, <laughs> He will start interfering with all the bad stuff that's going on. You know, that, so it messes with our minds because, you know, you're, you're on, one, on one side you're saying God is sovereign, right? The Bible says he's sovereign. He's going to, his will is going to prevail. And then you have on the other side the, the, the thought, every human has free will and they're going to do what they're going to do. And so you're like, which side is it? Is it God's completely in control or people have free will or... I'm telling you, I think it's above our ability to comprehend, but the answer is somewhere in between. The answer is somewhere in between. And for some reason, God has allowed us to be involved in in making sure God's will happens on this good green earth that we live on. All right? And God's sovereign will often is, is released and activated by our prayers. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But it, there's example after example in the Bible and evidence after evidence in the Bible that your prayers somehow activates the sovereign will of God. And what does that make me do? That makes me want to pray. 
Because I know every time God's sovereign will is activated, good things happen. I'm happier. I have more peace. I'm more confident in God. And so, uh, you know, the fatalists say, que sera, sera. <laughs> And then the people who think, you know, it's, it's all on me. I'm going to make things happen. It's, it's neither of those two extremes. God's sovereign will is activated in our day-to-day lives through our, through our prayers. And so we see this, and I'll just share one scripture. I could share tons of them. But in 2 Chronicles 16.9, it says that the, the Lord's eyes scan the whole earth. Some versions say range throughout the whole earth. The King James Version says, look to and fro throughout the whole earth. What? To strengthen those who are committed to him with all their hearts. The people who are committed to God and praying, they're going to see God's strength in their life and his will activating their life. Finishing up with last two here. The third lesson that I learned from this is don't give up. Keep on praying. Don't give up, man. What? Tina and I were talking about this the other day. What would it do to give up? What, what good is it for you to give up? I mean, all you're going to do is slip back into your old, you know, yucky past that was no fun anyways. So why would you give up? Keep praying. Have a lifestyle of prayer. Stay in a spirit of prayer. That means not being distracted, not being worried. Stay in a lifestyle, a habit of prayer. What does that look like? Well, as you're driving, turn on some Christian music. Let that kind of bring your mind back onto the things of God and talk to God. Spend some time listening to God. What does that look like at work in your busy time? Well, every little take, take a little 30-second break and just focus back in on God. You know, what does that look like at lunch is praying over your meal and being grateful for that food. You know, having little triggers, triggers that cause you to worry instead of having cause you to worry. Say, I'm going to let that trigger cause me to pray. You see, and you can have all these different little tricks, if you will, uh, little hacks of how to stay in an attitude of prayer all the time. In the middle of the night, if you struggle with insomnia, you wake up and say, oh, what? you know what? I'm awake. I'm going to talk to God a little bit. I'm going to listen to God a little bit. I'm going to let his peace just kind of saturate my thoughts here, and I'm going to be a praying person. In Luke 18, I'll just super duper kind of quick go through this, but Jesus gives a parable. I've heard my dad preach on this. Uh, I have so many memories of the things my parents taught me and showed me, and this is one of them. He, he gave a parable. He said, a uh, uh, of, of how people ought to pray and never become discouraged. When you pray, it's going to help you not be discouraged, depressed, oppressed, get down. But Jesus said in a certain city, there was this judge who didn't fear God, didn't respect any person. And there was this widow in the city and she kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God and don't respect any person, and yet because this widow is bugging me, she's bothering me, I will give her justice. Otherwise, by continually, she's going to wear me out. (laughs) Have you ever had a kid just wear you out and finally say, here, take it. Get away from me. All right, that's kind of maybe the the same scenario. And the Lord said, listen to what the unrighteous uh, judge said now. Will God not bring about justice for his elect, 
the people he's chosen, you and me, he's chosen us. It is good to be chosen of God, all right? Who cry out to him day and night, and will he delay long for them? I tell you, he will bring about justice for them quickly. Don't give up in your prayers for that tough thing. You say, it's been 10 years, Steve. Keep on praying. Keep on believing. Keep on hoping in God. Keep putting your confidence in God. You say, it's been 20 years. Keep on. It's been 30 years. Keep on. There's, you know what? Can I tell you something? You will always have one thing hanging out there for a long period of time. Don't forget the other 99 things that God did for you like that. Don't forget about them. You know what? We're in this for the long haul. <laughs> We're in this for a lifetime. I want to get to heaven. I don't want to just have a good day today and, and just live off of good days. I'm going to have bad days. You are too. Don't give up. Keep praying. I heard this athlete say this. I'll never forget it. She said it was an a Olympic um, oh, gymnast. That's what it was. She said something that she learned, I guess, from her coach. She said, you never give up on a bad day. You never give up on a bad day. So on bad days, you say, I'm never quitting on a bad day. I might quit on a good day, but I'm never going to quit on a bad day. Well, you know that on good days, you're not going to quit either because it's a good day, right? So don't give up. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. And there's the million-dollar question. Ah, does that mean i got to pray 24-7? That's not the point of the Scripture. <laughs> Point of the scriptures, you stay in just this lifestyle of talking to God, of listening to God. He's with you. He's not left you. Number four. Here's the last one. Let your problem drive you to God. Let your problem. You, you know, whenever you watch somebody doing jujitsu, you know, they, they use the momentum of their opponent to take their opponent down. So their opponent's coming to tackle them and, and they kind of shift their body. They use the momentum of their opponent to pin them down. And you know what? You need to use your problem to your advantage. Use your problem to your advantage. Your problem's coming at you. Use your problem to push you to God because otherwise you wouldn't do it anyways, right? Life is good. You don't need God. But when you have a problem, that problem pushes you towards the Lord. Use the momentum of a crisis of a problem to drive closer to God. But then once you get to God, which takes a second by the a millisecond, by the way, it doesn't take a lifetime, doesn't take an hour. It can take a split second. You're close to God. Then rest in his presence. Your, your problem pushes you there. Now just take a deep breath. And I love in Psalms 91, it says, whoever uh, uh, finds that secret place of the most high, they're going to rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Oh, man, rest in God. Let him take care of your problems. In fact, this statement came to me several months ago, and I've just been thinking about it and, and using it as I face things. But let God's power do its work. If you've prayed for something that hadn't happened yet, just relax. You know, sit down. Rest. Take a deep breath. Oh, praise God. He's gonna, his, his power is going to do the work. Amen. I'm not going to operate in my strength anymore. I won't operate in my strength. I don't want to operate in my strength anymore. So let's do this. If there's a thought, a memory that consistently triggers sorrow, depression, fury, criticism, or any other number of emotions. Instead, let that thought and that memory 
cause you to pray. Cause you to pray. Let's look at these, these four things just real quick. Four lessons about prayer. Stop telling God what to do. You know, if you don't pray, you leave things up to chance. So you be praying, right? Don't give up. Keep on praying. And let your problem drive you closer to God. Now, what I love about church is we get information, all right? We process it in our brains, and, but then we want to practice it. We want to practice it. Because guess what? We might walk out those doors and totally forget. If I ask you next Sunday, hey, what did we talk about last Sunday? You might not remember. <laughs> That's okay. Shame on me if you don't remember. But you know what? Can we practice what we're talking about here right now? Right, right here, right now. I like experimenting with the things of God. I like practicing the word of uh, things of, the, of God. I like putting it into practice, making it a part of who I am. So if you would just stand with me just really quick. I would like you to pray. I would like you to pray. And it's not weird to pray, right? I don't think it's weird to pray. I think most every human being in the face of the earth at some point prays to God. Maybe not everybody, but I think most everybody at some point whispers a prayer to God. But I want you to, I want you to break your glass ceiling. I want you to break your glass ceiling. And the glass ceiling that I see a lot of times is praying out loud. <laughs> praying out loud like I'm going to pray right now I'm going to pray 30 second prayer I'm going to pray it out loud and you can hear how I'm praying and then I want you you can pray under your breath if you want to that's fine I'm not asking you to yell that's, that'd be kind of odd but I want you to pray at least out loud so you can hear your own prayers it's powerful to break these glass ceilings and say you know what I'm not going to be stinking worried about what people think about me anymore. I'm more worried about what God thinks about me. So I'm going to pray a 30-second prayer, maybe shorter, and you're going to see how simple my prayer is. We do this at Irvin. We do this at other places. We say, this is easy stuff. This is not hard at all. And here I go, Lord, I just thank you. Look, my prayer just said thank you. Lord, I thank you for all the good things that you have done in my life. I thank you, God, for these two legs that I'm standing on. I thank you, God, for a voice, Lord, that actually can project worship to God and, and speak of his glories. I thank you, God, for a verse in the Bible that says, for instance, that if I don't praise God, the rocks are going to cry out and praise God. Lord, so I thank you and I praise you for who you are. Lord, you're the creator of the universe. You're the lover of my soul. You love me so much. Lord, I think of the times when you've protected me and you've helped me and you've healed me and you've guided me and you've been there for me, God. Maybe in lonely times, I thank you, God. Now, amen. Do you see how easy that was? I don't care what you think about me. <laughs> you shouldn't care what anybody thinks about you either. You should only care about what God thinks about you. Can you break through your glass ceiling now and under your breath if you want to or a little bit louder, it doesn't matter. Pray to God right now. Practice what we've talked about. Tell him your concerns. Tell him how you feel. If you're down, tell him. I'm down, God. I'm depressed. I'm struggling here. But for just a minute, can we pray together right now? 